Thank you, Father, for the Word of God who instructs us and gives us uh, wisdom and hope. And we pray, Father, that our thinking would be aligned uh, as your truth tells us. We pray, God, for Eddie, and we ask, Father, for blessings on him and his family, and pray, God, that you would send comfort his way. Uh, we ask, Father, that you give him relief in his circumstances, and, Lord, that he would have uh, hope, Father. Please uh, send to him folks who can minister to him and his family. Uh, please bless our time and your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 7. Where we left off at is we're dealing with the whole situation of preparation for the flood. And it seems like a uh, oddly timed text for right now what we're dealing with. If you have your, your handouts, you have with you... Uh, the papers, as far as our foundational framework, 14 lessons in. I hope you guys aren't tired yet. Okay, this series has probably got about 30 to 35 more lessons to go, so it's all right. We ain't got nothing else to do. Word of God's not going to change. We're good. But let's go over real quick what we're looking at here, our foundational truths. Number one, to understand, the Bible is God's self-revelation. Does everybody get that God wants to be known? Everybody get that. He has gone to great lengths in order to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to know him. This is why hearts are incited for missions. Hearts do not get incited for missions places because they think it would be fun to vacation in a third world country. That's not how that happens. It happens because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God as the raw fuel and brings conviction upon believers that lifts them up out of their seats and sends them out because there are people who have never heard about Jesus Christ. God wants to be known. And the Bible is the way that he uses, whether through other people or directly through reading it, in order to make himself known so that people would be saved. Very important. Number two, God is the eternal, sovereign creator. All that he creates is good. All that he creates is good. This is so important for us to get in our day and age. Uh, number three, man is a responsible agent. We are all responsible for our sin, and we are all held to a moral standard. Regardless if you've ever believed in him or not, everyone is held to a moral standard. See, a lot of people don't like that truth because we have a lot of what-ifs that come in our mind. You know, God's word's pretty clear, and our mandate as Christians are pretty clear to go out and make disciples. The last one, sin originates within a person, and it separates us from God. Now, before we start, I've actually got, and I'll get down out of the way here. Everybody knows I don't belong up there anyway. But I actually got some pictures for you. I got one picture for you and a video for you. There you go. Look at Nathaniel's face. Like, I think he thinks the flood's coming. I don't know. But this, yeah. This is us uh, at the Ark Encounter. Uh, we got there real early in the morning, and just so you can see how big this thing is. I mean, we're standing a pretty good ways off, but you can see one of the ramps for staff to go up in the back there to it. And you can also see the stairs in the background there. That thing is huge. Uh, it is located in Kentucky. So, I mean, that's where God's promised land is, so that's where I find the Ark at. <laughs> So 
I like the sarcastic laughs. Ha, ha, ha. That's good. Um, so anyway, that gives you a, an example of, of just how big it is because they were very meticulous about building it to scale. And I wouldn't be surprised if the thing floated if it actually had flood through there. That thing is massive inside. Um, if you ever end up going, I do warn you this. Uh, their gospel presentation is ransacked with lordship salvation. If you need to do this, 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 this in order to be saved, and it's not just believing in Christ, and it and it's not just focusing on what he did for you. Uh, so you have to be very aware of that. If anybody in here has heard of Ray Comfort, Ray, could they have him like pop up as a hologram, and he talks to you about it, and could have spent that money on something else. But anyway... Uh, not good. So, but the next one is I want to show you this video that I think is very interesting when we deal with the subject of the flood and the ark. And let me move so everybody over here can see. Can we pull up that video, Mitch? Is it good to go? Okay. I took this while I was inside the ark. Everybody know what that was? Books and books and books and books and books. Children's books depicting Noah's ark. Now, God's name is mentioned in most of them. Noah's usually the hero in the story. But all the animals are hanging out like they're getting ready to go to Disneyland. Okay? Is there anything in the scriptures about that at all? In fact, don't the scriptures tell us the exact opposite? See, this is real touchy because I know where the ark picture is in the church. Nothing gets on my nerves worse than that, man. I'll just be honest with you. Because let's be honest. We read the scriptural account of what goes on here. Does it look anything like what those books are telling our kids? And so what have we effectively done by condoning that? Anybody know? You misrepresented God. Is that serious? Oh, it's very serious. See, that's why things like this are dangerous. Now, if I've stepped on your toes, I apologize, but I guarantee you, if you read the Bible, I'm not wrong. And I think that's what we have to contend with. What does the truth say about the situation? It's interesting because that, that entire room was just a collection of books. Blew my mind. And I'm sure they didn't get all of them that are on the market. Scary stuff. But when you misrepresent God, you've painted him to be thought of differently. Something other than what Scripture said, Paul. And the record states that basically said that uh, the ark wasn't real, the flood wasn't real. That, that's what I read up here. Some of it could have been that way. Yeah, and some of it is the popular video. The popular idea is the flood was local. Does the Bible account say that? No, but you'd be surprised how many PhDs sit around and write papers and all this research as to why the flood was only a local flood. And what's interesting is, is they deal with every writing under the sun except how God has clearly made himself known. Very interesting. So let's begin, and as we go through, we're not going to cover all this. We're, we're covering a lot today. I understand that this is the first time I'm on a time constraint here. I'm aware. So you don't need to be going, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm watching. I got it. By the way, I'm wearing a new cologne. It's called Essence of Deer. Anybody ever heard of it? I said, I said, what are guys in Wisconsin wearing? He said, well, the hunters wear this. I was like, great, I'll put it on. So, what's that? 
Season opens in two weeks. I'll fit right in with everybody. I'm going to get mugged by deer out in the parking lot, so just kidding. All right, verse, chapter 7, verse 1. You guys have a sense of humor? Thank you. My jokes are terrible. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone, and the reason why you're alone there is in the italics is because the word you is in the singular. He's really focusing in on Noah. Now, remember the big thing about Noah here. Noah was blameless, and he was righteous in his generation. When everything was decadence and corruption around him, he stood fast, and he held fast to God's word. Do you think Noah was popular? Not at all. Everybody remembers this from high school, right? You don't join in with what everybody else is doing. You quickly become an outcast. It's the same type of idea here. You guys were very efficient in outcasting me when you saw what jersey I was wearing. However, some of you had it figured out, right? Some of you. But the rest of you were operating in ignorance of the truth. (laughs) Scripture application. I love it. Praise God for providing that for me today. All right. So for you alone, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time, in that day and age. Now watch real quick. Verse 2, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, male and his female. Here's what that means. Seven males, seven females that were clean. Now, here's the problem that we have with this. We're only seven chapters into Genesis, and God has given us no mandate whatsoever about what clean and unclean animals are. This doesn't happen until the law much, 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 much later after Moses' time. But what this does tells us is there was something going on behind the scenes where God communicated to Noah. This is what is considered a clean animal. And so he takes seven males and seven females and they go on the ark. Now notice the next one here and the wording's kind of strange. I don't know why it is, but let's go through it. It says here, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Two meaning a male and a female, just two in that way. You say, well, why isn't it like twos and twos like it was sevens? The reason is, is because the sevens there is plural, meaning seven of each. Notice that two is not twos kind of thing. Notice it has to do with just one and one is the idea. So you have the one and one. Now from Sunday school, that's a good thing about Sunday school. It's really prepared us to be familiar with the ark. From Sunday school, what is the one and one for? What? Reproducing upon the earth, filling up the earth again. What are the seven and seven for? Sacrifice. Very interesting. When we get there, we'll see that. So notice, moving on here. Verse 3, also are the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Everybody see that word offspring? Man, I had a hard time with this. I spent probably about three hours on this one word offspring. And here's the reason why. If you have a New American Standard, you'll notice that it has a little number next to it. And if you check over in your margin, you'll notice that it says there literally seed. Everybody see that? This Hebrew word, the very first meaning for this word means sowing. Like you would go out and sow seed. The idea is not necessarily the offspring of the birds. We're not going to have a problem with reproduction with them. But the idea is to make sure of spreading seed across the earth so that there would be vegetation that would sprout up everywhere. That's the idea. And so it says here, verse 4, For after seven more days, 
Seven more days. I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Now, this verse is full of stuff. So let's back up and let's go through it. For after seven more days, in the research I found in the timelines that they came up with, everybody remember Methuselah, right? And everybody remember that his name means his death shall bring. That's what his name means. He lived how long, remember? How long did you live, Tom? 969 years, okay? This whole idea of seven days before was because Methuselah had passed away. And this was going to be the ending time of mourning for him. At the end of mourning for Methuselah, the flood would come. Very interesting how God lines it up time-wise. And so notice, I will send rain on the earth. Who's responsible for doing this? God. In fact, it had not rained on the earth before this time. It had never rained. You say, well, how in the world did everything get watered? It was a mist that sprung up from the ground. That's how it happened. Now, it had never rained before, so when this rain stuff started happening, it was probably out of control for people. They didn't know what to think. I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That's how long it will rain. And I will, Yahweh, will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Now, this is important for us to understand because we don't like this, okay? If you're like me, the real team that you root for is me right? In any situation, we're always looking to defend ourselves, do the best for ourselves, uplift ourselves, make sure that we come out on top. If we're wrong, we'll be taken to a certain length to where we won't admit it. Yeah, I'll admit it. Okay, I'm wrong. And we'll try to play for our own best interests in this. Here's an amazing thing to understand. If God is the creator, he is the owner of all things. If you create something, it would be very silly for someone to take it from you and break it. That's called stealing and destruction, and they usually get fined or go to jail for that. Why? It's not their property. They are not the owner. God owns the world. Is everybody with me? It's so important to understand. Can he bring destruction on it? Yes. He can do whatever he sees fit. And I guarantee you, pay close attention because... The similarities that you're going to see between what is going on right now in Houston and Florida and what is going on right here are going to be heavily connected, and you can't miss the principle of the matter, okay? So notice here, verse 5, great verse, goes perfectly with chapter 6, 22. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. Noah did according to some, a little bit. It was buffet obedience. I really like these. I really want that ice cream out of the fun machine, but I don't want the Brussels sprouts of God's obedience. Is that what it was? No, man. Interesting quote I found. Let me read it to you. Noah did not try to use his human love and pity for his neighbors and the environment. He trusted God's love. He did not make his own moral judgments over who should and who should not be saved. He trusted God's holiness. He did not use his knowledge as the final criteria in designing the ark. He trusted in God's omniscience. He did not attempt to meet the evil of his day by his own energy. 
He trusted God's power to destroy it. At point after point, Noah believed God. God said it, Noah believed it. And because he believed it, and because he understood that everything that God says is truth, that rooted in him a conviction of what must be done. It wasn't just agreeing with it, nodding his head, and then sitting back and putting his feet up on the desk. No. He said, God, if this is what you want me to do, then yes, it is true. And because it is true, it is a reason for motivation to move forward, to do what you have called me to do. Verse 6, now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood of clean animals and animals that were not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground. There went into the ark by Noah, to Noah by twos, male and female, and God commanded Noah, as, sorry, as God commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. Now pause. They entered into the ark and they waited seven days. They lived a whole week in the ark before anything ever happened. Do you think they were being mocked outside of it? I mean, think about it. Why are you guys, what are you guys doing? How come you guys got all your sleeping bags and stuff? Where are you guys going? Well, there's going to be a flood. God's going to judge the world. And we're going in right now. By day two, they're like, um, y'all look stupid. You guys, what are you doing? Nothing's happened. It's never rained before. Hey, everybody, look at Noah and his family. Good job. You think he looked like a winner at that moment? No. What made the difference? He believed. Belief. Belief. Which if you throw it around to the negative, what makes the difference on their side? Unbelief. Unbelief is the enemy of God. Not believing what he has said. So notice this. Verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day. Now pause. Why in the world do they give you all that stuff? Because liars don't give details. That's the reason why. Moses is commanded to document the year of Noah's life, the month, and the day that this historical event took place on earth. Now notice what it says here. The fountains of the great deep burst open. You know what that means? It means you got water coming from one direction, right? Under you. Up. Everybody see that? But look what else happens here. And the floodgates of the sky were opened. The windows of the sky were opened. Everybody remember on day two, God created a canopy that separated the waters from the waters? The waters from the waters. That means there is water being kept above this canopy above the earth. Guess what? God opens the windows. You got water coming from two directions. Now, when we often think about this, we often picture, right? Clouds, lightning, all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't think it happened like that. 
We don't have anything like that in here. I think what it was was water coming down and all of a sudden water filling everything up from the bottom. I think it was probably very subtle. I think the craziness that went on was everybody losing their minds at that moment. I think that's probably what it was. God didn't need lightning to accomplish this. He's simply using water. Now let's move on. It says here, verse 12, the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights on the very same day that Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds, stop. What is Moses doing here? What is he trying to connect here? Do anybody remember? What's he connecting by using the repetition of after its kind, after their kind, after its kind, after its kind? What is he connecting here for us? Where does he want your mind to go? Creation. He wants to take you back to the creation account. Why? Because if somebody is going to take the world and bring an upheaval and everything outside of a barge is going to die, there's got to be an authoritative stamp on it for a good reason as to why. Now, what is the reason why this is happening? The wickedness of man was great on the earth, and God looked at the hearts of men and saw that the intents of their hearts were only evil continually. Let me ask you this. When I asked, when I asked that question, how many of you in your mind wanted to think immediately, well, because God, because God. That's the reason why. Anybody? Here's the reason why I caution you against that mindset. Notice that God is reacting to the sin of people. That's important. There are consequences for sin. Man, very important. Because here's what a lot of people like to do. Well, why did God let this happen? Well, why did God make this, you know, well, how come God didn't step in and do something? That is a very elevated view of us. It's a very elevated view of us. Somehow we think that we've earned God's divine rescue all the time. Well, he should have just stepped in and grabbed it. Well, he should have just stepped in and took care of this. Did anybody ever stop and take a step back and go, you know what, it's because of sin that any of this stuff is here to begin with. You know what that mindset does? It humbles you where we need to be. It puts me on my knees before an almighty God. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything that I have. I don't deserve anything that he gives. I don't deserve any sort of blessing. And because he is good and because he is gracious and he cannot help but to let that grace pour out from himself, we get to be the undeserving recipients of that flow of his mercy. There is the proper channel of how to understand this. Well, why in the world would God let these things happen in Houston? Well, why in the world would God let these things go on in Florida? Let me tell you what the cause is. What do you think the cause is? Do you think the cause of those things is any different from this? See, this is not going to be a popular message. You think it's sin? You think there's sin problems in Houston? You think there's sin problems in Florida? Yeah. You think God is pleased with gay day? At Walt Disney World down there? I don't think he is. 
Think he's pleased with the drag queen scene in Miami? I don't think he is. You think God will do whatever it takes to jar you out of your position to get your attention? He will. One of the scariest things, and we talked about this last week, one of the scariest things that God does is to get our attention is he simply lets us be us. That's one of the scariest things. Because when you stop and you think about it, you don't have people around in order to reinforce encouragement for you. You don't have Facebook to display how you feel and why you feel it. You don't have somebody constantly texting you all the time. And you finally get to the point where you can hear God speaking to you in silence. Here's what you find out. Apart from him, there is no hope. You can't do it. You could never do it. And any idea that you were going to come up on top because of your own devices was a lie that Satan fed you. And we swallowed it. This event is so critical in Scripture. Why? Number one, because it's history. It's not made up. It's not a tale. It's not a fabrication. Number two, it displays a crucial point of God's character, and that is sin deserves judgment. You can't understand what went on the cross of Christ if you don't grasp what happened here in the flood that brought Noah through. So critical. So critical. So notice, after it's kind, after it's kind, after it's kind, all of the animals enter on the same day. Noah and his family enter on the same day, bringing us back to the Genesis account, and then look what happens here, verse 15. So they went into the ark of Noah by twos of all flesh, and which was, and if you write in your Bibles, and that's okay, get out your pen, the breath of life. Where's he taking you at with that? Back to Genesis, back to the very beginning of creation, the breath of life. Notice that his saving of Noah and the animals is personal. Who gave the breath of life? God did. Everybody remember Genesis 2, 7, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Who? Remember, he created Adam and Adam's laying there dead, but he's there in body. Who animated him? God did. God is the one who makes alive. Only God can make people alive, period. Verse 16, those who entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. Here's a great verse. And don't ask me how it happened. I don't know. And the Lord closed it behind them. Where was the door? In the side. You know, tell Ken Ham to get that ramp thing off there. That wasn't on there, right? The door is in the side. Where's water going to come in at? The side before it ever gets to the top. Does everybody see the amount of faith it took for Noah to walk in, sit there for seven days? Everybody's in there. Wow, how are we going to deal with this? I don't know. It's almost like a biodome zoo that you've got going on now, right? Very strange deal. And then all of a sudden, God and seals it. By the way, the door didn't leak. God does a good job, doesn't he? You say, praise God. Does everybody see there's only one door? Notice that. In order for Noah and his family to be saved, there is only one door. Which is ironic because at Ken Ham's exhibit, it's actually double doors. I never understood that. My wife was like, it's not that big of a deal. It's still one doorway. <laughs> I'm like, it's two doors. They open two ways. I think she said something like, well, God can seal those too. I'm like, 
See, you guys never knew that you married the Holy Spirit, did you? <laughs> Verse 17, then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. So notice, the waters from the bottom are what actually caused the ark to become afloat and start carrying it up. It says here, the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all, everybody see the word all? Now I'm not a genius, but does anybody know what the word all means? Everything, praise the Lord. You guys are way more educated than some PhDs I've read, okay? That all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Do you think that God wants us to get the point that the flood was universal? It's a worldwide flood. Every mountain covered. Look at verse 20. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. Everybody know what a cubit is, right? From your elbow to the tip of your middle finger, 18 inches. Okay, so this is 22 and a half feet. The water was 22 and a half feet feet higher than the highest mountain peak. See, that's why the ark could float around and not worry about the bottom scraped on anything. I don't know that it had that big, forgive me for my lack of shipology, but the part that comes down, is that what it's called? The keel that comes down here? Is that what it's called? The belly of the boat? I don't know that it was necessarily like that considering what the height was. It was only 30 cubits high, wasn't it? Who's to say that it wasn't slightly rounded? But notice, 22 and a half feet. Couldn't have been any deeper than that because of the weight holding it. Never scraped on the bottom. Do you think God wants us to understand that the water covered the earth? Absolutely. No question. So now watch what goes on here. Verse 21. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on dry land, all, everybody see all, 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 all. Some people ask about fish. What about fish? Did fish live? It's all water. Why didn't the fish live? Does anybody know? Number one, the Bible says everything died. Does anybody know why the fish probably wouldn't live? Pollution in the water. Dead carcasses and blood. Who's got, who's phone? Corey's that you? No? Okay. You gave the greatest reaction. I was like, who's phone? And Corey goes, oh. it's not Jesus calling, hang up. All right. So notice, verse 22, of all that was on dry land and all whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Now notice, we saw everything that had the breath of life gathered into the ark. There's your positive. Here's your negative. Does God take sin personal? Think about this. God is saying, I took the time to give you the breath of life. I'm the one who made you alive, and this is what you've done with your life. See how they think about God is all messed up. Since you have not treated that breath of life responsibly, I will take it from you. Moving on. Verse 23, thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things, the birds of the sky, they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. That word blotted, they were blotted out. The word actually literally means they were erased. It's the idea of erasing something off of a piece of paper. 
It says here, verse 24, the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah. Does that mean that God forgot Noah? No, it's the idea that he now turns his special attention because he's getting ready to take action in the situation. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. So now, how is God going to deal with getting rid of the water? He begins with the process of evaporation. He says here, verse 2, Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily. The idea is a rapid departure from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, let me tell you about Ararat real quick. It doesn't mean that it rested down on the highest peak of the mountain. That's not what it's dealing with. Ararat is not just one mountain. It is actually a mountain range, a mountain structure that's going along through there. But the highest peak that you're dealing with is 17,000 feet, okay? So 17,000 feet, and they came resting somewhere in that mountain region. It was a lot of water, okay? Now, real quick, because of time, we are going to skip the whole release a raven and three times releasing a dove, the olive branch, and all that. You're familiar with that. Why did they release a raven? Honestly, I don't think anybody has a good reason, and here's the reason why. Everybody says, well, it's because it's a scavenger, and they would have found a carcass out there and began eating. Nobody ate meat up until this time. Nobody eats meat until the beginning of Genesis 9. Everybody was vegetarian. See, those people in Madison freak us out. But this is how it was from the beginning, right? So notice, moving on here. It says here, uh, let's move to verse 13. Now, it came about in the 601st year, in the first month of the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. Now, pay attention to 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Pause. First day, first month, 601st year of Noah's life, he removes some of the covering and he can see that the land is dry. And he stays there for 57 days and doesn't leave the ark. Anybody think that's weird? I mean, if you were in the ark, wouldn't you be like, yay, let's get off the ark. Animals smell bad. Maybe, right? But notice what happens next. Verse 15. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. What was, what was Noah waiting on? God's command. Isn't that great? I mean, Noah is just obedient through and through. Boy, that land looks real nice, but God didn't tell me to go there, so I'm not. I'll continue to stay here. We would have been mowing over people to get out of this ark. Noah was not. Man, if we could only believe like Noah believed. As he says here, verse 17, bring out with you everything uh, of the flesh that is with you, birds and animals, creeping things that creep on the earth, uh, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families. Everybody see the referral back to Genesis? Everybody see that of their kind, after their kind, by their families from the ark. Now here's the great thing. Notice that when Noah gets off the ark, the first thing he doesn't do is bow down on the ground and start kissing the ground and go, oh, earth, I missed you, I missed you. Everybody seen cartoons where things like that happen? It's not what happens. Look what he says. 
Then Noah, verse 20, built an altar to the Lord. The first thing on Noah's mind when he steps off the ark is, I have to worship God because he saved me. Does everybody see that? Now look what he does. And took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. A burnt offering. We don't know much about this because it really doesn't pop up until the beginning chapters of Leviticus. But in a burnt offering, what you would do is you would take your hand and because of the sins that you had committed, you would put your hand on the head of an animal that was now going to become a substitute for you. And it was like a transference of the sin. Now this animal became responsible for your sins and then they would sacrifice the animal, cut the animal into various pieces, very meticulously, if you ever want to read the beginning chapters of Leviticus to see that, and then they would slowly burn the animal from morning to evening and it was the only offering that was ever burned up thoroughly. And the reason is, is because it is a removal, a transference of sin onto a substitute. Everybody see the picture of Christ there? And then the idea of from morning to evening, a full day's length was meant for a consecration. Is now being holy. All of that unholiness has been burned away. It's gone. It's become ash and it doesn't matter. It has no substance anymore. Does everybody see that? This is the first type of offering that Noah brings before God. One of confessing and, 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 and bringing out sin, dealing with sin first. And then the idea of wanting to be consecrated unto God. Good stuff. This is what Noah thinks to do. The very first thing. Now, I have a running commentary kind of going on briefly in your papers. But on the back, I ask a question. What is the present day significance of the judgment of the flood? Yeah, it happened in history. Yeah, God did this. Yeah, sin was the cause. Yeah, God is reacting to it. He's the one that brings judgment. Why does it matter? Everybody turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Somebody say it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Eli. Good job. Eli listens, and that's why he's going to heaven. Just kidding. 2 Peter chapter 3. My goal is to get this done in three minutes. <laughs> you guys laugh. I want to respect Sunday school. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Peter's pretty much saying, I'm writing all these things to you because it's stuff you've heard before, and like any good Christian, we often forget what we've heard. So he's saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention to what God has said. Verse 3, knowing this first of all, that in the last days, mockers, scoffers, will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, now notice what they're questioning, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. The mockery of false prophets in the end time will be doubting Jesus' second return. Okay? This is important for us to get of what this is looking like. Verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. They forget something. They forget that by the word of God, by the what? The word. Now watch this. By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. How did God do it? Ultimately, the active catalyst was his word. 
He commanded it to be done. It's done. Notice it says here next, verse 7, but by his word, same, same active force. Now watch this. The present heavens and earth right now are being reserved for what? Fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Same problem? Does it warrant judgment? Is God going to use water the second time? No, he's going to use fire. Notice that. Verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Is the Lord long-suffering with people? Yeah, watch this. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, his promise to bring the end, his promise to judge sin. He's not slow with it. But look what it says here. As some count slowness. Though some that count slowness is looking at it from a human way and thinking that everything should be done from the human perspective. So everybody see how self-centered that is? Why is God so slow in bringing this about if it's true? And they mock him because of it. But look what it says here. But it's patient toward you. And that you doesn't mean Christians. It means mankind in general. He's patient towards you. Why? Because God doesn't wish for any to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be put to death. That's not what he's about. God doesn't want anyone to die, but look what he says. But for all to come to repentance. God wants the world to change their mind about him. God wants the world to know the truth and change their receptivity to him. Because hard-heartedness leads people away. Now, this is where we live. This is important for you to understand. Verses 7, 8, 9. If you were to map out a timeline, a chart, that's where we are. God wants people to repent. How do we know that's true? Because, well, it says that, yes. But think about what you're dealing with whenever you're dealing with Jonah and Nineveh. Doesn't he go through calling on that nation to repent? What's amazing is, is they come to believe or reverence God, but there's no mention whatsoever in that entire book that Nineveh ever got saved. Because of their repentance in response to who God is, what you do see is that they put on sackcloth and ashes before the Lord. Well, doesn't that mean they believe? The text never says that. What it does say is that they did ward off judgment for a hundred years, and because they fell back into their ways and did not heed what the previous generation did in responding to God, then came their destruction. That's so important. It's so important to see. Repentance is about people in this world responding to the fact that there is a God and living in light of it. They are saved by belief in Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? That's a confusing point for some people. This is where we live. What would God want to get across to people? Florida, repent. Houston, repent. Portage, repent. The message of judgment is not popular. But it has to be told for one reason and one reason only. Because it's true. This is what sin warrants. And if you are not covered by the blood of Christ, you have no pardon. Does everybody get that? You have no pardon from this whatsoever. 
We live in a time of judgment. We live in a time of judgment. You say, well, how do we handle that? Let me ask you, how do you handle that? See, all of a sudden, there's a lot of responsibility that comes on us. Oh, okay, so I, I know the one true God. I know all about him. I need to be utilizing every opportunity in order to talk about him. I guarantee you that if we all shut down our Facebooks and got our eyes off of ourselves and on God, this place would be way different. I guarantee you. I guarantee you that what would be incredible is that all of a sudden we would find that judgment is something that we can endure or we could deal with because our hope was never in this life and what other people thought about us. It certainly wasn't that way with Noah. Whatever God commanded, Noah did. There's your plan for success. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for an example of Noah. Thank you, God, that you do judge sin and you don't sit idly by, excuse it, brush it under the rug. Father, you are serious about sin. And maybe right now we are struggling with sin. Father, there is grace in the Lord Jesus to help rescue us from those things. Father, help us to see clearly. Help us to see from your perspective how terrible it is how the loss of life is so horrible. You say in Ezekiel 18, you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Father, you are long-suffering, desiring for people to repent. Father, each one of us need to be a minister that is the word to these people. They're not picking up Bibles every day, but we are coming in contact with them every day. Father, open doors for us to be used for your greater glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.